The scripture reading for this morning comes from Genesis chapter 16. And so please give ear to the reading of God's word. Now Sarah, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarah said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarah. So after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarah, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarah said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarah, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarah dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarah, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I'm fleeing from my mistress, Sarah. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God of seeing. For she said, Truly here I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore, the well was called Bir Lahai Roy. It lies between Kadesh and Bered. And Hagar bore Abram a son. And Abram called the name of his son, whom Hagar bore Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abraham. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. For those of you who've been with us for a while, our guest speaker, Pastor Stephen Cooper, needs no introduction. I believe this might be his third or fourth time preaching here. For those of you who are relatively new, Stephen Cooper was lead pastor of Harbor City Church in downtown San Diego for many years. In this season of life, he is called to lead a coaching ministry called Clarity, Focus, Heart Coaching, and Consulting, where he helps leaders experience God and maximize the impact of their leadership. Over the years, I've found that Stephen has an incredible capacity for empathy. When I think of Stephen Cooper, I think he is a man of empathy. God has given him a great sensitivity to the brokenness of God's people, as well as deep insight into the balm and wonder of the gospel. And so let's welcome him at this time. Thanks, 
Thank you, Jeff. Um, yeah, those are kind words, and I'm excited to be here. And it's kind of funny because <laughs> when I got the text, it was Friday night. Um, hey, we've had trouble. We're having difficulty. Do you have any chance to preach for us this Sunday? Sure, absolutely. Like, it's great to have pastors in the area who aren't, don't have Sunday responsibilities, right? So, um, so I said, great. And I went to, I was like, hey, I, I reached out to Lewis. Lewis, hey, what, what do you want me to preach on? He's like, hey, it's wide open. It's Friday. <laughs> Whatever you want is fine with us. And so I was like, cool. So I spent all my time thinking, what am I going to preach on? And, um, and so I thought, oh, I'm going to preach on Hagar and the God who sees. And so I was excited about that, thought about it some. Then the Lord woke me up kind of earlier this morning than I, than I was planning on waking up. And I was like, that's curious. And all of a sudden something hit me. I think there was another detail in Lewis's text that you might be missing. And so like I grabbed my phone, you know, reach over, grab my phone. And Lewis is like, yeah, the, the kids, he said this on Friday night. He said, the kids from third grade and up are going to be in the service with us. <laughs> the story we're going to look at, the story that Jeff has just read for us, it's not a general admission type of story. You know, there's, if we slowed down and got into the details of it, we'd see that it's at least PG-13. And because the Bible is not a G-rated book. The Bible is not a G-rated story because people aren't, don't live G-rated lives. And God meets us in our lives exactly as they are. He doesn't require that we change or become something that we aren't in order to meet with him. He meets us exactly where we are. And so that's a glorious reality. And we're going to see a little bit of that today. But when we have kids in the room, we want to make sure that we are age appropriate in the descriptions and even when we talk about what the Bible says. And so I just want to say outright, it would be really helpful. What I'm going to do today is I'm going to skim over a lot of the details in the beginning part of the story where there's all the drama and the craziness um, that happens. But I'd encourage all of you as adults to spend time and slowly look over the story to see the ups and the downs, the triangles and the craziness that existed in this family because the better you understand the amount of suffering that Hagar went through, the better you're going to appreciate how God can show up for you no matter what happens in your life. Cool? Make sense? Okay, well, so before we look more at the story of Hagar, I want to ask some questions to all of us, just so that we can understand the parts of our lives that I think this story is meant to, to speak to. Okay, so question number one is, have you ever been hurt by someone who was supposed to care for you? Kids, I think even you can relate to this, right? Your brothers or your sisters don't always treat you well. Like they're supposed to love you, but then they hit you, they turn you in, they tell on you, they get you in trouble, right? Or hey, kids, sometimes like our parents, right? Our parents, they're supposed to love us, right? But sometimes it doesn't feel like what they're doing is loving. Um, sometimes we do things and our parents misunderstand us. And so they treat us harshly with anger or discipline, um, I mean, sometimes we deserve it, <laughs> right? Sometimes we do stuff that's wrong, we need discipline, but sometimes it feels like we didn't do anything wrong and they misunderstood. Um, I think it's important for us 
to get real about how difficult life can be. It's important for us to do that. That's actually number one in the outline. If you pull up the app, which is super cool that you have an app that has the outline of my message. And I think there's even a place to take notes. Like, how'd you guys figure that out? It's pretty cool. Um, So, but outline number one is we need to get real about how difficult life can be. And this is really important for us to say, especially in church, because unfortunately, a lot of Christians are afraid to be honest about how broken life can be or about how much pain they're in. A lot of times you, have to, you feel like, well, yeah, I'm going through a lot of stuff, but here I am in church or I'm going to show up at church. I've got to put my smiley face on. If someone says, how are you doing? I can't really be honest because they don't really want to know. If I were to tell them how I'm really doing, it would just get super awkward in that moment, right? And this isn't good for us. It's not good for us as human beings. It's not good for us as Christians. Um, Because when we're hurting, we need to be able to talk about it. We need people who will see us. And so we really do need to get real about how difficult life can be. I know that my worst pain is when on top of what I'm going through, I'm misunderstood. Like nothing frustrates me more. Like, you know that, like, there's like a, a med- like a, it's a, it feels like there's like a grinding that's going on inside my body when I'm misunderstood, when people don't understand me, when they don't get what I'm doing, when they, they misinterpret my actions or my words. Um, I feel really alone, too. Like, it just feels so unjust. Um, I've suffered and I've been attacked and falsely accused because I've loved people who don't feel like they fit in the church. And the people that I'm trying to love, others have a hard time loving them. And I get attacked. And I get like falsely accused because of relationships that I have with people who desperately need Jesus and some of whom absolutely want Jesus and yet they don't feel welcome in the church. Um, On the other hand, I've had really excruciating pain in close relationships with people who have hurt me beyond description. And so in those times, like I've always had friends with me Like, I've always had people who are kind of walking with me. And even when I'm able to talk about the pain that I'm experiencing, sometimes it's just like my friends aren't enough. Right? They just, there's just, the pain was so bad, they just didn't understand. They couldn't understand. And that's why I love the Bible, honestly. That's why the Bible has meant more to me than almost anything else in my life. Uh, Because the Bible makes room for the chaos when our lives are out of control. Okay, that's number two on the outline. The Bible makes room for the chaos that is out of our control. Um, Man, friends, God sees you when no one else can. God, that's the name of the message, right? God sees you in ways that no one else can. Because he sees 
not just what you've done or what's been done to you, but he sees how you felt, what you were trying to do, what your motivations were, how you've been affected by the work, the, the things that other people have done to you. Like, he sees it all. And so there are times when the pain is so deep and the knots are like just, they're impossible to unravel. And it's times like that when I am so glad that God meets us in our pain. And so the Bible is full of stories that are so different from ours. And yet if we slow down and we ask God to speak to us through them, we find out that the people in the Bible, we can really relate to them. And that when God relates to the people in the Bible, God actually then speaks to us. And that's, that's what's gonna happen today. Today for you, God is gonna speak to you in your pain, in your hurt, in the misunderstandings, in the ways that you've been isolated. God's gonna come near to you because he sees you when no one else can. And so, like I said, we're gonna skim through the details of the first six verses of Genesis 16. Um, but really, I just want you to realize that Hagar, right? Hagar is the main character in this, in this uh, portion, this chapter. And Hagar goes from worst to first, and then she goes back down to worst. Okay, that's kind of the flow of what happens here. And, and Jeff read it for us. I mean, poor Hagar, right? Her life was so full of turmoil. She was a slave, right? She was an Egyptian slave. That's what verse one says. But then she was chosen through crazy circumstances, completely outside of her control, to have Abraham's child. And Abraham, Abraham, this is father Abraham, right? He had many sons, right? Well, he hadn't had any sons in this part, in this part of the story yet, but Hagar was chosen to have Abraham's son, to have his heir. I mean, this is an extraordinary privilege. This is the man of God, the, the man that God chose to rescue the whole world. Him and his family are gonna be the beginning of a new human race, a new humanity that's going to bless the nations of the earth, right? And Hagar, the slave woman, she gets chosen to be the heir of Abraham's child. But then this war broke out and this war involves arrogance and pride. It involves abuse and mistreatment. It involves, it involves someone who refuses to engage with any kind of leadership when he should have. And what happens is that this poor slave woman who was exalted by being pregnant, she is abused and she runs away. She flees. And the text tells us she fled, she was heading back to Egypt is what the, is what the text says. And you gotta understand, that was a 120 mile run. So that would be like if you went up to Disneyland, right? Kids, if you were at Disneyland and you decide you're gonna walk from Disneyland all the way down to Mexico. Okay, And if you're a pregnant slave who has no resources, there's no way you're going to make it. I mean, that is a walk of shame that will never be completed. But God shows up. 
when everyone else had abandoned Hagar, God shows up. God shows up. And, and this is the third thing in our outline. We're going to spend the rest of the time talking about this. God always shows up. Friends, God always shows up. Genesis 16, verse 7 says, The angel of the Lord found her. That means God was looking. God was looking for Hagar, and he found her by a spring of water in the desert. I mean, think about this. You're on a 120-mile journey. You're walking. You find a spring. Like, I wonder how long she was there. You know, you wonder, like, wait, if I leave this and I continue in the desert, am I going to make it to another one? But God meets her. He finds her there. The angel of the Lord, this is God. In the Old Testament, he would show up as an angel when he wanted to visit people. And one of these questions that hits me in the story is like, when God shows up, is he going to be angry with her? Again, kids, sometimes our parents get mad at us when we're hurting. Like something went wrong at school or something's off at home and we're kind of hurting. And then our parents get mad at us. And it's usually because they don't understand. They think we did something wrong or they're just sick and tired of us and they're frustrated and, and they get angry with us. It's like it makes it worse. Like, is that how God's going to respond? Well, here's the good news. God isn't like that. So I don't know what images you have. This is kids and adults. What images do you have of God? Do you feel like God's walking around with a stick ready to whack you? Um, I know I've had that view of God in my own life and it came... Yeah, it came from one of my parents. Like I was sort of trained, I didn't know this was happening, but I thought God was like my dad. And so the way dad treated me, I thought that's how God treated me. And so I had this idea that God was angry with me all the time or just not satisfied. But God's not like that. God is not like that. He isn't angry with Hagar. He shows up. And he asks her two questions, and both of these questions are full of love. Verse 8 says, and God, this is he, he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from, and where are you going? Two simple questions. I mean, does God need to ask these questions? Kids, does God need to ask questions? I mean, no, right? God knows everything. So why does he ask questions? Well, it's not for him, but it's for her. This is a big, big deal. Like, because you know what these questions do? They draw Hagar out. They give Hagar a chance to speak. They give Hagar a chance to talk about where she's been and where she's going. Like these are questions where God is saying, Hagar, I know everything, but the thing that I want you to know is that I care deeply about where you've been and what you've been through. I care deeply about where you're heading. God asks questions to draw us out so that we would know that wherever we are, however we're feeling, he cares. So many of us, and, and I mean, man, like we, this is a big book, right? This Bible here, it's rough trying to follow Jesus, right? Because sometimes you're like, okay, I want to figure out what the right answer is to everything. 
You know, every problem has a biblical answer, right? What are the Bible verses that speak to this? What are the Bible verses that speak to that? What's the right thing to do in this situation, right? The right thing to do in every situation is before you start giving the right answer, you show the person you're talking to that you care. That's the right thing to do. I need to hear this desperately. Like, I'm a fixer, I'm an answer guy, I'm a pastor, my goodness, I memorized the Bible, right? I know all the answers. Every question you have, more or less, 99% of the questions you have, I'll tell you what the Bible says to it. I'll tell you exactly what the Bible says. I'll give you eight verses that'll present not just simple answers, either nuanced answers that have, like, that show different perspectives, and in this situation, it's this, and that's it. And so I spent a whole giant part of my life, 40 years of my life, really feeling like it was my job to give people answers. And then my life blew up because the people that I was giving answers to, they weren't looking for answers. What they really needed to know was that I cared, no matter what the answer was. And so when I read this text, when I see this story and I see how God shows up and the first thing he does, he says, Hagar, let's talk. I want to know where you are. I want to know what you've been through. I want to know what you're thinking and how you're feeling. This has radically shifted my own reality, who I am as a person. Because I realized that what everyone needs to know is that you care. I mean, the the classic phrase is, they don't care what you know until they know that you care. God is showing this. He cares about Hagar. So these questions, God is saying, Hagar, you matter to me. What happened? You can talk to me. Do you have anybody in your life like this? Somebody that you know when everything falls apart that you can run to them and just bare your soul? You can talk about what's wrong. You can talk about what's happened. You can talk about what you've done or what's been done to you. God has all the time in the world for you. He's not too busy. And I know it can be difficult because sometimes when we pray, it feels like we're talking to the ceiling. It feels like we're just going through motions. It can feel like God's not really there. But in this moment, we see that God is always there. So Hagar responds in verse eight to the questions. She says, I'm fleeing from my mistress, Sarah. It's interesting that Hagar answers the first question, where have you come from, but not the second. I I think she doesn't know where she's going. 
She doesn't have a clue what she's doing. She just knows she has to get away. She just knows that Sarah didn't understand her. Abraham didn't stand up for her. Nobody cared about her, and so she ran. She's saying, like, it's all ruined. My life is over. I thought my life was going to be amazing, but everything now is awful. Do you feel this way? Some of you probably feel this way today. Like right now, this has been your life. You're like, oh my goodness, this is my story. Well, God's response to her is shocking, and this is one of these cultural things, and there's some depth of understanding of the way God works in the world that's underneath this, so you might be triggered by God's response here um, because he gives advice that we probably would be cautious to give. Um, So we wouldn't say this today, but it made sense back then. Um, And I just, again, we got to own that. Like when weird stuff happens in the Bible, we should say, yeah, this comes across a little bit weird. Because if we don't say it as Christians, then when non-Christians read it, if we don't act like we can see it, they're going to be like, well, you clearly don't see what I see when I'm reading the Bible. So it's good for us to say, hey, what God says is a little bit shocking here. Verse nine says, the angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. Like, is this God saying, hey, if you've been abused in a relationship, you should go back into that abusive relationship? Today, no. Like, I don't think that's what God would say. Um, If someone's been abusive to you, we have options. There are things that you can do to be protected from. You don't have to go back into an abusive situation. Um, So, but (laughs) Hagar had just come from this disaster with Sarah and Abraham, and yet God is sending her back. And gosh, like, there's a lot here. Um, The simple way to understand it, and this is going to be simplistic, okay? So, Um, just, let's just be honest about that. Um, God has chosen to bless the world through one family. And that family isn't perfect. It's far from perfect. That God's people have never been perfect. They've always been flawed. They've always struggled. They've always been terrible people at times. And yet God is committed to working through them and in them so that they become the kind of people who would be a blessing to the world. And that is God's design for Abraham and for Sarah. And so God is sending Hagar back so that she can be a part of what God is doing through them. Um, Now, if you read farther on in the story, you'll see that God ends up rescuing her again in a different way. Um, But right now he's sending her back. And God knows it's going to be hard. Um, He also knows that doing hard things makes us strong and courageous. And so this is really important. See, um, God is saying, look, you can go back because I will be with you. I will be with you. Verse 10 shows that God sends her with his presence and his blessing. It says, verse 10, the angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And again, culturally, you're like, so having a lot of kids, like, what's that about? Well, (laughs) what God is saying is, I'm going to be with you and with your son and with your children after them. 
And so culturally, this doesn't make sense to us, but this is a blessing that was a picture of eternal life. Okay, this is a picture of life with God, which means that God is saying, I'm gonna protect you. I'm gonna be with you. Sarah might not be on your side, but I am. And that's gonna make all the difference in the world. And so, parents, I think there's something in here for us. I've got four kids. My kids are older, 25 to 17. I've been through, well, <laughs> it's harder now that they're older in some ways. It's, it's more fun now because I don't know, like different people like different stages. I love the older stages, but life is super complicated with four kids. They are old, they have agency, they are, three of them are adults, one of them's almost an adult. We give them agency and I had to learn, this is another one of these fixer kinds of things, I had to learn that, you know what, like my job is not to protect them from all danger, but to help them have the strength and the courage to face any danger that comes to them. Like my job as a parent, I can't protect them from everything. Like even try as I might, when I was trying in that mode of protecting them, like I really, I couldn't do it. No matter how hard I tried, they still found ways to get in trouble. They still had, you know, found ways to, to run with people that, you know, didn't have the kind of character that I wish they'd had. And, you know, um, I mean, one instance, one of our kids um, she ended up coming back to me and telling me about an instance that happened where she had these two really good friends. She spent all the time in the world with them and they started doing drugs. And, you know, and I hear this after the fact, so I didn't, I mean, in some ways, God saved me from the anxiety of knowing this was going on, right? Um, and so, um, thank you, God, for little things. Maybe you're blessing her and not me because she know what I would have done, you know, if, anyways, but um, all of that. But she came to me and said, you know, Dad, I... Like they offered, you know, they offered me drugs. They wanted me to do drugs with them. And she goes like, when I processed it, she said, having to make a decision about whether I was going to join them or not, like just having to make the decision, that actually made me realize how strong I was. She said, I found that my friends actually respected me for saying no. That I didn't like give in to them. They respected me for saying no. And then she said, I also discovered that I'm someone who doesn't have to conform to the broken parts of society. And it's kind of exciting because we've tried to strengthen our kids. We've tried to give them the strength and let them know that they have agency and they're gonna to have to use that agency every day of their life, multiple times a day, right? They've gotta make decisions. And it was exciting because she chose to use that. Again, we weren't trying to protect them from everything that could possibly go wrong. Instead, we wanted to build inside of them a deep strength of character um, so that they could stand up when things happened. And so, verse 11, the angel of the Lord said to her, behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. Call his name Ishmael because the Lord has listened to your affliction. Again, God is saying, Sarah might not be on your side, but I am. Sarah might not have listened to you, but I did, and I do. Abraham didn't listen to you, but I am here with you. He's saying, I'm going to turn your son into a kingdom, like a nation of people. And his name, his name will forever remind you that when you are suffering, I am listening. Even when it feels like my listening is that you're wrestling with me because you feel like I'm ignoring you. 
I'm listening. And so Hagar's response to all of this, to, hey, go back and I'm gonna bless you. Her response is verse 13. She called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God of seeing. For she said, truly here, I've seen him who looks after me. She said, God, you see my suffering. Sarah used me, Abraham betrayed me, but God, you know me. You see my despair and you've come and you care for me. Friends, this is God speaking to you in this story. Whatever you're going through, whatever you're dealing with, God hears and he sees. Kids, when life is difficult, God hears you and he sees you and he cares. I love that Hagar didn't complain about going back. It's like she's saying, hey, if you're with me, I can do anything. Yes, it'll be hard, but you are with me and you can make me stronger than the people who hurt me. And friends, I think this is how we get to Jesus here in the gospel. Because thousands of years after Hagar, Jesus left heaven and entered into our world of pain and misery. Jesus saw us and saw that we needed him here. And so he came and he saw that we didn't just need him with us, but we needed him to die for us because our sin separates us from God. And so Jesus came and he died for us. He suffered in all the ways that we have in his life and then worse for us on the cross so that we would know that he gets us and that he's with us. And this is where it comes to us, like in my own life, this has become one of the most extraordinary realities that, that, that come to me when I'm hurting. Like when I am suffering and I've been betrayed and I'm being misunderstood, I cry out to Jesus. I say, Jesus, do you realize what they're saying? Do you realize what they're doing? Do you realize what happened here? And I can see Jesus with tears in his eyes sitting with me and saying, I know what this is like. I know what it's like to be betrayed. I know what it's like to do everything right and still they turn on you. I know what it's like to pour out your life to serve and to serve and to serve. And then to be told that you're still, it's not enough. And in that moment, I mean, friends, like, he sees me. I realize, like, oh, wait, he does get it. He does understand what this is like. He does understand what it is to suffer. And all of a sudden, I'm not alone. Because in his smile, in his tears, he's telling me, I'm with you. I'm right next to you. I'm in your soul by my spirit. 
He's here today, right now. He wants you to know in your suffering, he's with you. He's been treated the way you've been treated. He gets it. He knows the motivations. He knows what you were trying to do. And, and I mean, the difference, he was perfect and they still treated him badly, right? None of us are perfect. We all contribute to the mess very often that we find ourselves in and the chaos. But he still loves us. He's still with us. He sees you. He sees you. The most incredible thing is when you know that God is with you. And this story proves it. In the worst place Hagar could have been, God found her. God is finding you today. And he's telling you through the cross and the resurrection of Jesus, I care about you. I've taken away all of your sins. And I now welcome you into my family. You're my child. And yes, the road ahead may be difficult. You may continue to suffer. You may continue to be misunderstood. You may continue to be mistreated. But in all of it, I am with you. In all of it, you and I are going to come closer together as you understand even more what it's like for me, I'm gonna give you my presence. Let's pray. And in this, I don't, I don't, I don't know what, when you pray, how you picture Jesus or if you picture Jesus, but I want you to understand that Jesus is here. The things that you are carrying, the struggles that you have, the weight that you are bearing, the people who have mistreated you, Jesus sees it all. And he's here with you. He says, I know. I've been through something similar. And I experienced what I experienced so that you would know that I get it. And I'm with you in the mess. May you receive that today. Jesus, thank you for being the God who sees. Thank you that you reached out to that poor slave woman who was abandoned by everyone, but not by you. We wanna, we wanna bring you in to the places that maybe we haven't talked to you about before. We would like you to be present with all of our pain, all of our fear, all the things that we hide from others. We don't wanna hide it from you. Come in with your love and meet us. Thank you for seeing us.